Welcome, everyone. Um, first off, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity um, for the fourth week in a row, uh, the last week uh, of being here, um, having the opportunity to kind of guide you guys through this mini-series on the Holy Spirit. You know, my, my hope is that you've garnered something from it, that you take away something uh, from it, and that it becomes something applicable to your life. Um, so uh, I do appreciate it. I appreciate all the support y'all have given me and all the encouragement that y'all have shown. Um, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, thank you so much. We, uh, Lord, um, don't deserve to come before you and to worship and honor you, but through your grace and your mercy, through your son Jesus who mediates on our behalf, you have provided a way. Lord, you are kind and good and gentle. And Lord, we just uh, pray now that you would give clarity and wisdom uh, to your word. I know many of us here are just burdened and heavy hardened by, uh, by different things that are going on uh, in our lives, especially thinking about our Pastor Stephen who's in the hospital today. We We pray for him. We pray for... Christina, their family, that you would give them comfort, that you would give wisdom and clarity to the doctors and to the nurse practitioners and the nurses and all the treatment team who's taking care of him. And Lord, that you would bring healing to his body. Lord, now as we go into your word, may you illuminate once again your truth and may we take it out of this building and apply it to our lives. In your name I pray. So, you know, as we approach this last sermon, the idea over the last four weeks is not to give you individual topics to think about, but to build up each week to this point that we're getting at today uh, as we continue to explore the work of the Spirit. We've looked at it in the sense of what He does, you know, for us in, in a way of our own personal lives. He gives us a new heart, a new spirit that first week. And then we looked at the application of that into our individual lives. As you recall, it should be putting to death of sin and uh, also moving from there to loving one another and the fruits of the Spirit. And if you remember last week, we talked about how that love kind of binds all things together. And you know, I hope you had a good opportunity to look at the now what questions with yourself or a group last week, but it delved deeper into that category of fruits of the Spirit. You know, what does it look like to be gentle and gracious and kind? Uh, all of these things that Paul lays out in his letter there to the Galatians. Well, what we knew is it was bound up in love. So what I want to get at today is that the, the evidence of the Spirit's work in the life of the believer is primarily shown through the fruit of love. Okay, we, I think we nailed that down pretty good last week. If this is non-existent, the Spirit will be quenched and the church will quickly become dead. So that's where we're at today. This is where it has led me to this point where we have to look at it, not now just as individuals, but as a church body. Um, how, does, how does a life in the Spirit not only affect you and me, but should, how should it affect the overflow of all of us sitting in this room. Um, because if we're to yield ourselves, or, or if, if he's our helper and we're to yield ourselves to him, steering up a hatred uh, for sin as he produces fruit within our lives, most specifically love, 
With all of this, we must ask, how does this affect the local body? So here's a good question. Is battleground yielding itself to the work of the Spirit? So is this church, is this church in, in the sense of several thousands of people in this community, other churches, I can't speak for those churches, but is this church, this local body, are we yielding ourselves to the work of the Spirit? Are we putting to death sin in our lives? Are we producing, or is the Spirit producing His fruits within us? Um, and I can tell you, it's, the evidence reveals itself if that's true or not. Um, so it's a question for you to ponder through the week. As an individual part of this body, of this local body of believers, are we as a church uh, yielding ourselves? And is it evident by producing fruit within our lives and the church, the life of the church and the life, life of our community? And we'll see that here in a minute. So um, you see our individual lives overflow into the life of this congregation. So what you do as an individual overflows into the life of the congregation of the church. That's why Paul starts his letter out on an individualistic basis in the sense of talking about how as believers indwelt by the Spirit, it should be affecting our lives in such a way. Because the overflow of that happens through the church. Um, people should be able to evaluate our church and look at it based on what they see in the life of the believer. Um, from that church. So, so I want to go back to Galatians and a couple of other places, places to observe what a spiritless church looks like. And then I also want to look at what a spirit-filled church looks like and how it functions. Um, and then hopefully that will incline us uh, to think through these things uh, on a daily basis as, as believers. Uh, so I want to go back to Galatians and just kind of hit a, hit a few verses here and just look at it. It says in verse 6, of chapter 5 for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love if you jump on down to 13 through 15 it says for you were called to freedom brothers only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through what love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And verse 26 says this, as Paul wraps up writing this portion of the letter, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. You see this common thread, right? This, this idea that if, if love is not within the church body, if individuals are not loving one another, then we see the danger that can come from that. We can see that we can begin to sin against one another, envy one another, hate one another. And Paul says you will devour one another ultimately. It, it will destroy the church, in other words. If you don't love one another uh, individually, then it's not producing love within the church. Because as we love one another, it becomes an overflow into the church of we will love each other as far as it would just continue to abound all the more and more. Um, so as we look back at Galatians, Paul intertwines love and sin. Verse 6 tells us that faith works itself out through love. Verse 13 and 14, we are not used to our new freedom to 
in Christ to be used as an opportunity for the flesh. Remember when Paul writes to the Romans and he says, you know, may you not take God's grace and, and use it and abuse it. It says the same to him, them here, but it says, but through love serve one another. It is what the Spirit gives us through faith to be demonstrated to others. See, through faith we love one another because we have the understanding that through faith what Christ has done for us was sacrificial in the sense of love. So in the same way we should love one another. It should be observed that way. It should be demonstrated to other people that way. When we go out into the uh, to our neighbors and to the world and we talk to them about the gospel their first appeal back to us shouldn't be that the church is filled with hypocrites it should be that the church is filled with people who love one another my concern is that that is not the case is, is it, when you talk to people it is that the Christians go into a building each week and they, they meet together and they put on uh, these masks that's what the, word, the term hypocrite comes from in the Greek and we kind of put on this front among other people with each other but when we go out our character is not really that different of them so they see no reason to believe in the gospel truth of Christ because it's not created a difference in our own lives that's what the indwelling of the spirit does is how we know we're indwelt because it changes us it changes as individuals and it changes us as a collective body of, of God bringing unique and, and uh, you know, sometimes differently gifted people under one collective group in order to use us to go forward with the gospel. Um, not everybody looks the same in here and not everybody's got the same gifts. The Lord uses us, though, as a, as a church, even though we may be different in a lot of ways. Because you see, um, when we do this, when, when sin flourishes, this is what Paul was getting at through Galatians here, when sin flourishes, love is diminished. So when sin flourishes in the life of the church, love is diminished. I mean, the two cannot act together. You can't sin against one another. You can't have sin in your life and expect that love will abound through the church. It will not occur or happen. Is impossible. Love cannot take root where sin is already flourishing. So what happens to the church when love is diminished? It's a good question. When love is diminished, the spirit is grieved and quenched. And we see that throughout Scripture. I'm going to take you to a couple of verses. So I want to ask you this question. Why are churches dying? When, when you go around, if you were just to look at just a landscape of um, Kings Mountain by itself. And you were maybe to look at Barna's results, who does a lot of church statistics. We have to ask, why is the church dying? I think a lot of times we want to blame it on culture, blame shift it that way. But I want to tell you that the church to me is dying because the church is not doing what the church is supposed to be doing. It, it, the culture has always been the way it has been. It always will be the way it will be. It is, it is full of sinful people. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's in Congress. It doesn't matter who your local government is. They have no effect on the church. The church, as long as we're loving and we're functioning as we should be, then there should be change in our culture. There always historically has been true. When the church is living by being indwelt by the Spirit, what I know to be true is that the church is flourishing and that the community around it actually is benefiting, not the opposite. 
And so when I look over the landscape of churches and church culture and why churches are dying, I think it takes an examination of the church that we're not doing what the writers here, what Paul here has shared with us. And it ultimately starts with love. Um, We don't do a great job of loving one another. Um, And it harkens back to last week, I know. Um, So the one that practices sin and does not love shows ingratitude towards the Spirit. So you think about that. You think about how Jesus, despite our sin, and despite us being an enemy of God, He came and He loved us to the point of death on the cross. But you turn that around and you are quick to be unforgiving, quick to be non-loving to those in your local body. What are you doing? You're showing ingratitude back to the Spirit, the very one who loved you, the very one who cared enough to come to die for you. And it leaves the church in this condition and takes away his fruits. That's what happens when we we do that with the Spirit. We show ingratitude towards the Spirit, and the Spirit then leaves the church in this condition and takes away his fruits, meaning in a dying condition. I'm not going to go, if you want to, Mark 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22, and read that sometime this week. I would encourage you to do so. Um, Just a brief synopsis. So Paul's there. He's given final instructions to the church on how to treat one another. And again, every time Paul's talking, it's talking about in love. He's talking about patience and kindness, and see it all throughout the New Testament. Not just Paul, John, Peter. All those guys are writing about it. Because they understand that this is what everything ties back to. Everything is bound up in that, um, that verb. But in verse 15b, if you remember, we used this a couple weeks ago in application. It says, seek to do good to one another and to everyone. What does that mean? To love one another. Okay. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all thir- circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I gave you that as application a few weeks back. To always be thankful, to be grateful, back to the Spirit who has changed us, back to the one who indwells us and has given us much. I left this one part out, though. Right after that, immediately, the very next words, do not quench the Spirit. It ultimately ties back in. The the way we treat one another, the way the fruits of the Spirit work, the way that... We go about and we are rejoicing in the Spirit. Ties back into how the Spirit then is applicable to our lives. It says that we have the ability as the church to quench the Spirit of God. So, in the midst of reminding them to love one another, remember the application that I gave you two weeks ago. Be grateful towards the Spirit and practice and acknowledgement. Is that interesting? It's right before that quench the spirit but he says be grateful back to the spirit I think a lot of times we are ungrateful we're ungrateful in the way we voice it the way we say it the way we sing it but also in the way that we apply it in the way that we live it out towards one another for if not the spirit get this will relinquish his fruits from the church It's not that we are choking the Spirit off. It is that the Spirit, when that word quench is used there, it is not that we're 
choking the Spirit off, but it is ultimately he is relinquishing his fruits from the church, from the local body. And it's not that he can't give them, but that he chooses not to bless a disobedient church. So please understand that. If you want to look around at the culture today, especially the church culture, and wonder why churches are dying, it is my belief is because we are disobedient as a church across our country, across our world. If the church is not flourishing, the only thing that can come to be is that the church is disobedient because the Spirit will do its work. The Spirit will move. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times we just think, well, it's because of this reason or that reason churches are dying. No, let me tell you, I believe it is ultimately because it's a collective group of people that come together to practice religion ultimately, and they don't really love one another. They're not really in tune with the indwelling of the Spirit. Changed lives. That's what goes back to the very first week. Has your life been changed? Paul points to evidence the last two weeks. And this week he says, you know, it ultimately affects the church um, and how others view it. So I want to take you over to Ephesians just real quickly. Chapter 4. Listen to these words. They're very similar. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And if you jump to 17, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. It's mine in the church. Don't be like those that you just came from. Who are in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor being honest with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as in good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Listen to this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom God, of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. You know, it's interesting that wrapped up in all this and bearing in, in love, it says, with one another. I don't know if we do a lot of that. Bearing means like this, you know, bearing one another's burdens. 
uh, taking that upon ourselves. It's, it's okay to come in and, and give our, uh, you know, welcome people and, and say nice things. Hey, Jason, it's good to see you today, brother. You look good. You look nice. Um, you know, or say, hey, how's your week been? It's easy to do those things. But, but what really is love? Paul says here it's bearing with one another. It's, it's taking upon the burdens of somebody else and, and, and walking with them through that process. It's not giving up on people. It's not showing impatience towards people or you know, not being gentle towards people. That's why that list of other things ties back into love because it is bound within love. The way that you do things is actually love. In Ephesians uh, 1 3 and 7, 13, uh, 17 through 32, humility and gentleness and love maintain the unity of the Spirit. That's what verse uh, 3 and 4 say there. That they maintain the unity of the Spirit within the church. Those things. So, two thoughts here. So, it come when we think about love and, and maintaining that, and when it comes back to grieving the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What, is, what does it mean to grieve God? And, you know, there's this two concepts here at work. There's a sense of sadness and sorrowfulness, and also the other deals with ungratefulness and unappreciativeness towards um, the Lord and His work in our life. So He is saddened and sorrowful of the fact that we are ungrateful towards what He has done for us. It, it grieves Him. Being ungrateful in light of the cross and continuing sin leads to sorrowfulness and the Spirit ceasing to provide His fruits. Uh, ultimately, is what this is boiling back to is, is the fact that not only do we quench the Spirit, but we grieve the Spirit. The two go hand in hand. He becomes sorrowful over the fact that we are unappreciative of what He has done for us through His Son, Jesus, because we, in turn, do not reflect that gratefulness. We as a body do not reflect that gratefulness. It spills over from our individual lives into our corporate lives. Charles Spurgeon says this, He is not a God who reigns in solitary isolation divided by a great gulf, but He, the blessed Spirit, comes into such ever contact with us, takes us takes such minute observations, feels such tender regards that he can be grieved by our faults and follies. What a marvel that God should be said to grieve over the faults of beings that so utterly are insignificant as we are. So you think about that. You think about who God is in light of who we are. And the fact that he can be grieved and the spirit can be quenched but all of it is bound up in this one thing. Are you grateful today of what God has done in your life? And in that gratefulness, is it evident in your life? In the application of your life? You can say, yes, I'm, I'm grateful, I'm thankful. I come in here and I sing songs, I listen to you preach, listen to Pastor Stephen. But are you truly grateful? Like, 
does it work itself out in your life? That's why it's important, as I said several weeks ago, to, to wake up and yield yourself daily to the Spirit. You have to. Because if you don't, you're going to find yourself walking throughout the week away from the purpose that God has set forth for us, how we should treat and love one another. And as we do that, it overall affects our church. It affects our local body. It grieves the Spirit. It quenches the Spirit to the point that there's no wonder why we can go around to many of churches and see them closing their doors. And I'm serious. They say in 10 years, I can't, I can't even remember the percentage right now of how many churches will close their doors because the gospel is not permeating our culture because the church is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. So when the spirit is quenched, the church is no longer God's light to the nations. Get that? So when we as a body of people quench the spirit, we see... He ceases to work in the life of the church. The church is no longer God's light to the nations. I want to take you to Revelation chapter 2. Just read this really quick. Now, you remember where I was just reading out of, right? Ephesians. Can I tell you, this is a common trend and common uh, you know, issue that happens throughout the history of the church. We tend to be reminded who God is, how much God has loved us. We tend to get back on board, so to say, and then we fall off. If you look at where I'm about to start, which is verse 1 in chapter 2 of Revelation, John now is writing to the church in Ephesus. It's the exact same church, just a few decades later. And he's reminding them of the same thing. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in the right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your tool, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So he gives them some encouragement there. The things they were doing right. But listen to this. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. And here's the warning. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So that is a call to each and every church. What was the thing that they had at first? They abandoned. Love. What is Paul reminding them of decades before? To love one another in the spirit of unity. So this is something that we can do well for a while and tend to get away from. This is something that obviously by the time that John was towards the end of his life, had been exiled to Patmos, that it became, obviously, he had caught word or the Spirit gave him understanding that the church in Ephesus once again had quit loving one another. They had abandoned that love that first was there at first. So let me ask you, do we as a church... Collectively here, do we as a church 
nationwide or why do we need to repent that's what John is calling this church here to that's what he's calling the church in Ephesus to he tells them to repent for not loving one another not loving God getting back to the very core foundation of what is important because I can tell you if you really want to see revival in in your community and wherever that may be if you truly want to see that, the church and, and battleground can be one of the first ones we can repent and we can truly love one another because that's what shows the indwelling of the Spirit. When Jesus says he's going to leave us with a helper, that's what he's leaving us with, his Spirit to indwell us. So he threatens to remove what? Their lampstand. Their effectiveness. He threatens to remove the, the fact that they're going to be an actual genuine church. He's like, no, you're just going to be pretty much a, a group of people who meet. You're not really a church anymore. Because God will take his lampstand from among you and he will remove it. And it is a demonstration of his power to do so. To remove that lampstand and say, no longer do you really cease to function as a church. Unless you repent means to turn away from, to move back towards. So we as a church body, we need to be thinking on these things. We need to collectively work towards loving one another as the Spirit has told us to do, as He has enabled us to do. It said it is His fruit by which we can love. So if we are not loving, then we are quenching Him. And He will cease to work within the confines of our church. So when we look over Acts, and we go there, what does it look like? I understand this was in the early stages of the church, but I think it was like, gives an idea in its purest form of, of what it really looked like to be a church that was spirit-led, spirit-driven, and that, that was blossoming, flourishing, so if we go over here in, in verse 42 of chapter 2 in Acts, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So they were doing all these things in unity and spirit. Listen to this. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were, were being done through the apostles. And all who were believed were together and had all things in common. Here's the tangible aspect of this. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. I'm going to stop there for a second. It says, praising God and having favor with who? All. That's not just talking about the church people here because the, the next sentence I'm going to read is going to tell you that. But what was happening inside of the church that was spirit and dwelt, they were so willing to come and bring their own belongings, their own possessions. They loved one another so much. They understood what Christ had just done for them that they were willing 
to give up their very own possessions for the sake of those who needed something. They, in other words, they loved one another. They cared for one another deeply. They saw each other's plight, their burden, and they were there to meet it. Now, that isn't always the case I get financially in the local body. That's not what I'm asking for. But what I'm saying is that we need to do a better job of understanding one another and what it is that we can do to love one another and how we can be a part of one another's life in that way. Rather than just coming in here and sitting and just saying, hey, how was your day today? And then walking right out that building two minutes later not to see each other until next Sunday. It's not love. These people spent their life together. They met together throughout the week. They met one another's needs. They loved one another. They cared for one another. And the world around them had, they were in awe and they had favor. And again, if we went out to the local community today and said, what's your thoughts on the church? They probably wouldn't have much favor. I don't see that. And now Jesus did tell me, tell us, right, in his word that, that we would be an enemy of the world. I get that. But at the same time, when the Spirit is moving throughout the life of the church, the church is going to overflow into its community. And it's going to change lives. That is the power of the gospel. So they were in awe, having favor with all the people. And listen to this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And I can tell you, there is nothing more special about this group of people than it is about this group of people in this building today. Or any believer across our world today. So the question becomes then, what is... What are we doing differently? The Spirit's not different. The Spirit saves. And it says that God desires to save all people. So if that is the case, if that's true, what are we doing as a church in order to bring forth the gospel to bear in our communities? Because day by day, the number was growing. I don't see much growth happening in churches here where salvation of people there's a lot of lost people I'm going to tell you that a lot of lost people in our lives the spirit doesn't change something's changed I believe that to be the case that the church is not functioning as the church should I could go over the Acts chapter 4 I'm just going to read that to you as well really quickly and then we'll finish up. It's kind of the same idea here. We see it a second time. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and bought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, 
and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyrus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So again, we see a demonstration that's clear here in a very tangible way of what it looked like to love one another. Um, you know, my, my fear is that, going back to verse 33, it says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Are we doing that? Are we going out and being bold and proclaiming the good news of Christ? Because that, that's a part of that quenched up spirit. Because I, I can say, if you're not, then we have to look and say, is the spirit at work truly in my life? Is the is spirit at work in, in the life of this church? Are we asking God in our prayer lives, Lord, send people to me to, for me to share the gospel and the good news with? I can tell you, if you do that prayer, better be ready. Because you'll have an opportunity, I promise. Um, and, and be prepared, right? Paul says, in a season and out of season. But we're to seek the Lord in those things when, and, and to believe in the boldness. Remember it says in Acts 1-8 when Jesus is talking about the Spirit coming and He will come with boldness. And there's a sense, I think, that we're scared and almost ashamed and, and fearful of what people will think and say about us but yet, we have the Spirit. Like, the Spirit of God lives in us. The, the good news about all of this, that you, as you go out and you share the gospel, and the Spirit's functioning in your life, and as you put forth the good news of Jesus, guess what? It's not your job to save anybody. You can't. It's impossible. Guess who does? The Spirit does. Spirit enables people to believe. So what we see here is that God changes the lives of people. And he uses us, the church, as a means. Be grateful for that. God could go use any other mechanism by which he pleases to do so, but he uses messed up people to do it. He uses people who are once sinners, lost, blind, dead, he uses those people, you and me, in order to bring forth the good news. But it all starts with that. Is he working in our life? As I said, we see a church here in Acts that is functioning under the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's obvious that they love one another and they share their unity in Christ. If you remember Paul's words back in 4.3, I believe it was, in Ephesians. There's that unity there. When people love one another, there's unity. When individuals who come together to form the church are yielding themselves daily to the Spirit, okay, and producing His fruits in their lives, it has all the power in the world to change the lives of those who are blinded and dead in their sin. It does. So if you're yielding yourself to the Spirit, he is going to produce fruit in your life. That's been the last few weeks. Yield yourself to the Spirit. He'll produce work. He'll produce his fruits. And when that happens, 
I'm telling you, nothing can stop what the Spirit will do. This is what Jesus promised his disciples when he told them that it was better for him to go as he would be sending a helper. God in the Spirit, that he would indwell us, provide us with the character of God and empower us to go out into the world. So he would indwell us, he would provide us with his character, and he would give us the power to go out into the world to share the good news. So I end with a couple of questions. Do you really believe that the Spirit indwells you? That's a tough one. But we have to think on it. And I hope this past four weeks you have been you know, tussling with that question. And if He does indwell you, are you still struggling with your sin to the point where it is he is ceasing, not able to work in your life. Because his fruits aren't evident when sin is there. And let me ask you this, and if you do, do you believe he is capable of accomplishing much through you? Do you? Do you think that you, as an individual, he is capable of accomplishing much through? Because I do. I do. I believe we each serve a purpose in this room. He's gifted us differently. And he's put different people in our lives. But I believe the very spirit that dwells in you as a believer has the ability to accomplish much more than you can ever anticipate. But I think a lot of times that we just don't simply believe that to be true. And we're simply not walking in stride and step with him. If you remember the end of Galatians 5, it says, walk in step with the spirit. Going back to that idea. So if I can say it one more time. Wake up tomorrow. Ask Lord. May your spirit be with me. And may I yield myself to your spirit. And just see what God does. See what God does. Jesus didn't promise us a helper for no reason. He gave us a helper so that his mission may go forward. And I can tell you, you won't put a stop to that mission. That's the good news. But here's where you should take joy in this fact, is that he allows you to even be a part of it. Um, it is a joyful and a good thing, because we don't even deserve to be a part of it. But he allows us to be. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity you have provided me. Lord, um, I, um, Lord, I, I, a lot of times don't have the words to say, and but Lord, you work, and you're completely capable of using a group of people who were once sinners that are imperfect. Lord, using us for your kingdom and its growth. Lord, I just may ask that for our church that we not be a church that quenches the Spirit, or we be one, Lord, that ceases, Lord, um, in loving one another and causing the Spirit to be grieved. Lord, may, may we create a culture within our church of as we understand how much you loved us, 
that we in turn love you and love others. And because of that love, Lord, that you are doing a mighty and great work. Lord, may you indwell us. May we yield to you daily. Lord, guide us into song and a time of worship, into a time of remembering as we take up the Lord's Supper of what you have accomplished on our behalf. A time of opportunity of giving back to you. Lord, for we should be much grateful for what you've given us. Lord, guide us as we go out of here today. And may as we encounter those people in the world who are lost, may they be in awe of our life. Because, Lord, your spirit is moving and working in such a way. May we not hinder that. 